Welcome to Kansas City Real Talk brought to you by KCRAR. I'm Alex Gehring. And I'm Bobby Howe. Alex, you sound a little scratchy today. What's up, bud? I prefer sexy over scratchy. I woke up, I've got a frog. It's just right, right here, yeah. right in my throat. Okay. I did sales meeting with a mask just to be safe. Just to be safe. That's good. Yeah. You know, but, before we really get very much into this podcast, um, I need to make an announcement, a very, very sad announcement. And that is that one of our former podcast guests from back in December, uh, Sharon Keating, she was on our episode with the Missouri Real Estate Commission. She was past chair of the Real Estate Commission, realtor from Jeff City. She passed away a little over a week ago. Her funeral was this past Friday, and um, she's someone that's been a mentor to me since I've been in high school. So it was really, really, really sad. So just, just little—I don't even want to call it a moment of silence, but just someone to keep in your your thoughts and your prayers is her family because they're really, really struggling uh, right now. She'd had cancer; she'd beat it once before. And when we were at Marco Island, I got to spend some time with her by the pool, and she let me know that they had found the cancer again right before she came to Florida. She'd been in the hospital. And she checked herself out to go to Marco Island because she says, I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. She came home from Marco, checked right back into the hospital, and it was about a month later. So it's it's sad. So Jim Gamble had let me know that yesterday. And um, yeah, that's a a tough thing. Well, and you know, and what I feel even worse about, you know, you being scratchy kind of reminded me of this is down at the funeral. Then we came home. That was Friday, came home Saturday, and I got a message that her husband and two of the kids. Uh, tested positive for COVID and they think it's the Delta variant because the reason they even went to the the hospital or the doctor at all is because of um, uh, they had nosebleeds that wouldn't stop. Like that was their, their symptom. Weird. I was like, I didn't even know nosebleeds was now a COVID symptom, but it is. And so yeah. I feel re- like her husband was dealing with everything else he's dealing with right now. And several of them already vaccinated that tested positive. So hopefully that will make the symptoms less for them, but to be dealing with losing the matriarch of your family and now having COVID on top of everything else, I just send them your thoughts and prayers. So I know we always say that and really what do thoughts and prayers do, but I do believe prayers do help and do amazing things. So thanks for bringing that up, Bobby. That's tough. It is tough. And I don't know how we transition out of that, but we have to, we have to move on. So We've got an exciting episode today. So we've kind of got to transition out of that. We've got a pretty serious guest. Well, serious is it, what are you making a face about calling it a serious calling Rob a serious guest? It's heavy. I won't say it's serious, <laughs> but it's heavy. Like, let's be realistic about that. Like, Rob is one of the most fun people you'll ever meet and hang out with. So that's why I wouldn't necessarily call it serious, <laughs> uh, but heavy disruption. Um, those are words that I would use stirring the pot. I think I meant serious as in awesome. It's seriously awesome. That's, yeah. that's, that's absolutely accurate. That's really what I was going for. Mm-hmm. Well, so Alex. Go what? I have a question for you. Okay. I, I'm, I'm dealing with this right now. Have you ever found bats in a property right before closing? Not right before closing, but we have found, I have found bats in a property before. Did you find bats in the property during the summer? No, I don't think so. I don't okay, remember so, when it was. It didn't seem like it was summer though. So were you able to mitigate the bats right away once they were found? That's my question. We had to go through a relocation process. It was kind of a cluster. So you, okay, but it wasn't because of the bats that you couldn't mitigate. It was because of the relocation company. Uh, it was because, well, I mean, relocating the bats. Relocating the bats. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. So, so here's what I found out because we have, I'm, I've got a property we're closing on Thursday. During the inspections, we discovered we have an infestation of bats. Cool. We start trying to find bat companies, which come to find out it's difficult to even find a bat company. We ended up finding a guy out of Omaha to come down and deal with it because there was a company out of Warsaw that wanted to charge us $7,000 to deal with the bats. And we were like, $7,000? So we found a very reputable guy out of Omaha. If you need his name, let me know. I'll share it. Anyway, what we discovered, though, is that bats are a federally protected species. And they cannot be removed or relocated from the home between June 1st and August 15th because that is bat mating season and they have a right to stay in your home. Fun. I, I mean, I, I get protected species. 
I don't get allowing them to stay in your home, causing more damage because of their guano and their urine yeah. into your it's insulation. Bad. But because they're protected, they get to just stay. Can't we just board them for a while? Can't we just like put, the, can there be a bat sanctuary somewhere that we send them to? I'll put a bat house out in the trees. We just move them to the, I mean, there's trees all over. This property right. has trees all over it. We just, just move them outside. They can still grow up. They can do their things, just not in the house. Those darn bats. That was, I just, I, I was just flabbergasted. I'd never dealt with bats during the summer, apparently. And I was just like, what do you mean? We can't remove the bats. I, I did not realize that. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know that you that they had to stay there. Yeah. Uh, so, so what do you do if that's some kind of a requirement? Did you have to like escrow it or yeah. how, how did that work out? We're escrowing. That's what wow. we're doing now. And uh, so they came yesterday and they installed basically like a dryer vent in the two main spots where they think the bats are coming and going so that the bats, when they go out at night, they can't get back in. So it still allows them the ability to go out of the property. Okay. They just can't come back in the property. And then when August 15th happens, they'll come and seal up those last two holes. Wow. That's crazy. And then they'll so clean they, up so the insulation leave, and clean up all that other stuff. They can leave at their will and you can keep them from coming back. Yes. But you just can't go in and actually physically remove them. They have to leave at their own choosing. <laughs> so Alex, anything going on in your life, work life, personal life, anything exciting going on? Gosh, I've just been real busy. Yeah. And, you know, there's some good stuff going on. Okay. I'll give a little teaser. I don't, okay. you, you might, I, I don't know, you might hear something sometime soon. That's all I'll say. Okay. There's, so be on the alert from news coming from Alex. This is just, next, this next is episode. vague booking. No, this is vague podcasting. That's next, what we're doing. Next episode, there next might, episode, be, there might be, this is a spoiler alert. For the next episode. <laughs> All right, then. So what if you don't got you? anything this episode, I'm going to brag on myself. Go for it. What What are you doing? What's What do you got going on? Marathon ran, crazy person. I ran an ultra marathon around a track for 12 hours, Saturday night into Sunday morning. That's what I did. So an ultra marathon is anything considered over a marathon, thus ultra and I ran 31 miles, which is 124 laps around a track. We started at 6 p.m. with the heat index at 104 degrees, which was fun. And then we finished at 6 a.m. What do you listen to while you're running a 26-mile marathon? So the best part was the theme of this event. It was a fundraiser for a local cross-country at a, a local uh Catholic high school cross country. This was a, this was a fundraiser for them. And so they had, there was a, there was a six hour relay option. And so we had a bunch of high schoolers there for six hours doing a relay. And then there was a six hour option and we had a few people there for that. And then there was a 12 hour option that those of us that are idiots, we signed up for, but the theme was Christmas in July. So there was Christmas music. playing. <laughs> yes. I listened to Christmas music for 12 hours in the 104 degree heat. I don't really want to listen to Christmas music really again, anytime soon. How, how do you hydrate doing that? Like, do you, do you have one of those hats where you've got yeah. water oh. coming in your mouth? No. You were wearing a hat or a camelback, a backpack? Uh, what the girl, there was a girl who ran a marathon during the six hour and she had, she had a, uh, a Nathan's, she had a hydration vest is what those are called. But here's the thing, the, the, you're just going around a track a quarter of a mile at a time. And so those of us that were there for the long haul, we set up like the easy up tents and in the tent, you had your water. Then there was another, there was an aid station that had water and tailwind and all kinds of uh, food. So when you do, the best thing about an ultra versus a marathon is they change the food. Like when you run like a, just a regular marathon, they'll give you some goo, which is like frosting and packets just to give you some sugar. You shake those that in about every 45 minutes. But for an ultra, you would do like real foods. So there was peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. There were pretzels, M&Ms, watermelon, pickles, Oreos. They had many Oreos for me. I thought that was really nice of them. There isn't a single food item that you've mentioned yet that seems like it made it worth it. It did. It, I'll tell you what, between 1 and 3 a.m., watermelon was my friend, which I realized watermelon had no calories. Watermelon we had not many. I'm sorry. Calories. Hold on. Hold on. Did you but, say 1 to 3 a.m.? Yes. When between, did this thing start? It started at 6 p.m. and we went to 6 a.m. We went overnight. Yeah. 
See, see my smile? We had so much fun. I'm gonna oh do it again next year. Gosh. Okay. We are running out of time before we bring on our guest. So we need to do a book bit, but, and I always think it's funny because we're always so coy about who our guest is, but they've already seen the headline of this episode and they already know who the guest is. So we are, when we, after we do the book bit, we're gonna be bringing on a dear friend of mine, dear friend of the real estate world, Mr. Rob Hahn, who um, he's a real estate consultant, a real estate strategist. He's been in the real estate sphere for forever. Um, and we're just going to talk some stuff. He's known for being, you know, the doing all the stuff. So that's, that's what we'll do after we do our book bit and we'll bring Rob on and we'll do all that. All right. Well, I can't sing. So you're going to have to hear kind of a um, bad version of it. Do, 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 do Bobby's book bit. Man. That's fine. <laughs> All right. So I'm going off the rails today and doing a little bit different book than I normally do. Cause I normally do like a self-help book or I do something like that. Um, and this time I'm doing, I'm doing, I read a nonfiction book that reads like a fiction. And I think, I think everybody should read it quite frankly, or if you're interested in mental health at all, you should read it. So the book is called, I'm holding it up. I don't know why it's called Hidden Valley Road, but can you see all those people on the cover, Alex? See all those people there? So many people. So many people. So this was about a family. Um, it, they started the family in the forties. They ended up having 12 children between 1945 and 1965. So she had 12 kids over a 20 year time frame. Go ahead, do the math. It's a lot of ba it's basically she was pregnant pretty much for 20 years straight. Gee. But later on, um, into adulthood and um early at or late adolescence, early adulthood, six of the 12 children developed schizophrenia. And there were the first 10 kids were boys. So six of the 10 that developed the schizophrenia were the boys. And then there were two girls at the, the, the last two were girls. They never developed anything. They were fine, but they were like the first family um, to really be studied, to try to understand schizophrenia because schizophrenia is still to this day, really not understood. But at that time in the fifties and the sixties, there was a lot of, is it nature? Is it nurture? Is it genetic? Is it how there was a big push at one point in time that it was how the mom treated the children, whether the children would develop schizophrenia. But for all six boys that ended up developing it, they all showed up in, um, in different ways in them. They all reacted to it different ways. And there's a, they're, they're thinking now that schizophrenia is actually on the spectrum. It's somewhere between autism and bipolar. And it's just, it's a really interesting look. So they take these chapters and I think there's like 45 chapters and they list all 14 family members, the mom, the dad, the 12 kids, and whoever's talked about in that chapter, they highlight their name. So we know who we're focused on in that chapter. And then like every three or four chapters, it goes on to whatever was going on in the country at that time, as far as schizophrenia research, because they were trying to study all these people in regards to schizophrenia, but they didn't know if there was a genetic link, but there were no families with like large contingents of people that had schizophrenia. So this was the first family that they really could study on a large scale to see, you know, so they could study people one-on-one. -on -one. There had been a few twins before that, but that was really hard for them to study. So I, it's just as someone who's um, into mental wellness and, and today, uh, I know this episode doesn't come out until August 11th, but today, just a couple of hours before we did this episode, Simone Biles pulled out of the Olympics due to mental health. Um, and I, for and there's a lot of people critiquing her right now that she shouldn't have done that to her team. She'd done that. I, for one, am really proud for her stepping up and saying, I've got to take care of myself first Absolutely. because I can't take care of the rest of my team unless I, it's when you're on the plane, you put the mask on yourself before you put it on your children, because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of them. And Simone today said, I have to take care of myself. And I don't really care about what the keyboard warriors all over the internet are going to say about me. And so uh, as someone who wants to learn more about mental health, that wants to try to understand why some people suffer more than others and for us all to be able to say i'm not okay and that's okay is just really important so i really enjoyed hidden valley road um it's it's a 300 page book but it's it's such a well-written non-fiction book that it almost reads like fiction because it's just some of the situations that happen are just completely out there so sounds really interesting i, I look i'm gonna check that out now I don't mean to make light of any of what you just said, but should Rob 
look too much into the fact that you've picked a book about schizophrenia uh, for his episode for, for his episode you know i actually started to almost pick a different book and then i thought no this is actually because of the simone biles thing i, I but at the last moment i yeah. did actually almost switch to a different book um but then i thought you know what this i just uh, given what's I'll happened today it's on my heart and i want to talk about it yeah so that's good. So great book. I highly recommend it. I, it, it. It was an Oprah book pick in 2020. Not why I picked it. Somebody else had, had recommended it to me, but um, really liked the book. It was an excellent read. And I don't have three lessons that came from it other than it just really opened my mind to trying to understand schizophrenia a little bit better. Sure. Well, I think it's time that we bring Rob on. Let's go it's get the, Rob. Let's get him. Woo! Continental Title has been providing exceptional title and escrow services for real estate and lending transactions since 2001. Locally owned and operated for 20 years, Continental Title has 11 convenient locations for buyer and sellers across the Kansas City metro. They pride themselves on having an experienced and knowledgeable staff who's always ready to handle your transactions with ease and professionalism. And with every transaction, their goal is to make sure that you, the realtor, shines every time. They can save your clients money with their no seller closing fee and competitive rates. Continental Title can also save you time and energy with their online earnest money deposits, their mobile app that can create customized marketing pieces, as well as calculate closing costs and proceeds in seconds. And I don't think I mentioned this yet. You can send them documents by adding them to dot loop. What? Continental Title thanks you for your business and they look forward to seeing you at the closing table very soon. Visit their website, ctitle.com, for more information and happy selling. Welcome back to Kansas City World Talk, brought to you by KCRER. We are here with our illustrious guest, Mr. Robert Hahn. And I'm saying that because that's what his Zoom window says, but we all know him as <laughs> ROB. Now, before, normally we ask people to give their background in real estate, how they got into it. We'll get to that. Yeah. But I was thinking back to how long I've known you. And yeah. I was thinking about my very first Rob Hahn experience. And quite frankly, that's what it is. It's a Rob Hahn experience, if we're being right. honest that's with ourselves. Right. And when I started initially thinking about this, I thought back to whenever I came to uh, Inman Connect, New York, New York November, yeah. or January of 2010. And oh my God. you were the very first person that I met up with in New York City. You took me out to lunch and we had real ramen. See, I'm from yeah. a little tiny town in Northwest Missouri where ramen here is like a little 25 cent thing you get at the yeah, grocery yeah. store. Yeah. We had like real ramen. And then you took me on like a tour of New York City. And then that night we had um, Korean barbecue. And that was one of my very favorite meals yes. and experiences to that. Yes, to I remember. Day. I remember, you know, I, if I, God, it's 2010. Jesus 2010. Christ. Oh, are we that old? We're Damn. not that old. This is this. We, this all happened like in our mom's, you know, in our teens, five. right? We were teenagers when we did right. this. I, I think I had to like scout out the karaoke and the restaurant, and, and you were very. You were like, "I'll go with you." I'm like, "Sure, come along. Yeah, let's let's, let's go yes, look at stuff." Had, but then the last minute, right before we got on this podcast, I realized that was not my first Rob Hun experience, mm. and it's actually an experience that stuck with me my entire life, and oh, I tell no. the story quite often. Oh no. NAR, San Diego, November of 2009. <laughs> so just a little bit before that, not much. And we were at a place called Buster's Beach House. And you were buying rounds of shots for everyone. Was I? And the round of shots before mine was lemon drops. And I was like, okay, cool. So then you said, hey, Bobby, would you like to do an Irish car bomb? I did not know what an Irish car bomb was. <laughs> I now know. And I got to know the bushes outside of Buster's Beach House really well about 30 minutes later. Ooh. I have gotten sick from alcohol one time in my life. And that's because of you, Rob Hahn. All right. Well, uh, so, gosh, we were we were young and, and uh, young and foolish or young we and beautiful young. as the song goes. So, yes, that's. And yes. here we are. <laughs> that's where we are. That's how we know got these here many years later. Then, yep. I made an impression on everyone at that event. <laughs> Because of an Irish car bomb. So it's fine. Right. So, well, Rob, I, I assume that that doesn't tell us all we need to know about Rob Hahn. No. <laughs> so, so, so I'm curious. Could you tell us a little bit about oh, your gosh. background? I mean, I, how, I did feel you like... get, how did you pick real estate? Out of all the things you could have picked, yeah. how did you pick real estate? 
Well, I mean, I feel like I've been to KCRA so many times, you know, I've spoken to, you know, a bunch of classes. I may do again this year. Um, so, so I'll give you like the very briefest version. Um, you know, I'm a lawyer by training. I decided I didn't like law school. I didn't want to be a lawyer. So I've become a magazine editor with a 95% pay cut. Uh, started a dot com. Uh, went to New York. 9-11 happened. Uh, you know, and I've written about that as, as some of some people know. And uh, suddenly I found myself unemployed and in need of a job. I ended up at a consulting company that ended up working with Realogy or back then it was called Sendent. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got into real estate coming out of the tech world going, oh my God, this is virgin territory. I had no idea what the hell I was getting into. Uh, so I started, I worked at Cola Bank Commercial uh, for about four years, I want to say. And during that time, maybe coming out of law and tech, I realized like there's some real problems with real estate. But people is not one of them. Like the brokers and the agents I were meeting, you know, and again, these are commercial guys. So, you know, in residential, we think of them as hard nosed, you know, assholes. Like, no, they're, they're like really amazing, delightful people, at least compared to lawyers and you know, <laughs> <laughs> tech, uh, you know, startup people. Uh, so I just kind of fell in love with it. And, uh, you know, that kind of got me into real estate. And once I got in, I realized I felt like there's something I could do, you know, that I could add some value to the industry. That's that's why I've stuck around. And, you know, I've been here. God dang. Since, yeah, 12 years. No, yeah. 15. I, I, you know, like this wasn't like some life ambition coming out of college. Like, oh, I want to be in real estate and opine about shit. Like, that's not what happened. <laughs> it just kind of happened that way. And uh, yeah. That's well, about oh, as brief as I can make it, I think. I would say that opine about shit is putting it pretty lightly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one yeah. of the things that you're most known for is is providing a, a, a it's hard to even call it really an outsider's perspective because I don't mm -hmm. consider you to be an outsider, but that you do approach things from a different angle and you do yeah. look at things. And I feel like you try to look at it from an outsider perspective. It, well, I, uh, everything that you do is so worth reading and, and we're like taking a, another look at the way that we do things in this business. What, how, what was the evolution of your style on that? And how did you get started in, in uh, opining about shit? I'm just, I want more details. All right. Um, the, can we title the, the pot, this podcast episode, Amber, can we title it opining about shit? Can we yeah, do that, yeah. that thing? <laughs> Uh, that's a really good question. I'm not entirely sure, Alex. Like, I think part of it is, um, you know, I was in the internet in 1993, right? So before the world knew about the internet, you know, I, I, I had this, I had this girl I met at a student conference. She lived at Stanford. I was at Yale. I'm like, okay, well, these phone calls are getting too expensive. And then a friend of mine tells me, you know, if you go down to the basement, the computer's lab, you know, you can get on this thing called the internet and you can send her email. I'm like, what the hell is email? Anyway, so I, I, I knew about it early. Um, and uh, I knew about kind of, I, I don't know how to put it, like the whole, there was no blogosphere back then. There were a bunch of nerds on, the, on this Usenet and internet just writing, you know. So I knew about all that, right? And before I went to real estate, I was pretty heavily involved with like the political sphere. So I was always writing. Um, and I, I'm a frustrated writer to begin with. So when I was working at Sendent, uh, I, I remember telling them we should get on this blogging thing. And this was probably like 2007. No, no, it was like 2004. And they're like, oh, yeah, we have to pass through legal. We have to. I'm like, no, see, that's not how blogging works. So when I got the opportunity, I just started writing. And back then I was really writing about things like uh, marketing, interactive marketing. That was my background, interactive marketing technology and all these things. And I don't know from a style standpoint, um, you know, it's just, it's just something, I don't know, like I'm not real good. I think at, at being politically correct. I don't know how else to put it, you know, um, it, for me, it's, it's what ultimately is important is what's real, what's true. Mm -hmm. Right. And, that, and so what I'd like to say all the time is I'm happy to be wrong. You know, I'm, I'm wrong very often. You could ask Sonny. Uh, I'm wrong very often. However, what's not right, I think, is to kind of deceive ourselves or deceive others, right? Like mm -hmm. spin a story. I'm, I'm not good at that, right? So I started writing. And I remember the one thing that, uh, that was really just uh, crystallized early on. This is probably 2009, 2010. I remember writing a post talking about how uh, brokerage brands don't matter, right? 
And that wasn't like my idea. I actually took that from like Keller Williams videos from a bunch of agents I knew, a bunch of brokers like, yeah, but the brand doesn't matter. It's about the agent and your personal relationship. So I thought I was saying something that was just kind of everyone knew it, right? Like it was just, we all know this, right? Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't even like I wrote a post saying brokerage brand doesn't matter. It was in some post about social media marketing. And I just kind of said, yeah, and you know, brokerage brand doesn't matter. So you need to focus on your personal brand or something like that. And the hate mail I got, yeah. <laughs> like really angry, you know, and I was like, I, I don't understand. And it's, it's like, it was like that. And I said, but I'm not going to, like, I can't tell you the brokerage brand matters when I don't think it matters. Right. If you want to tell me it matters, then show me evidence, show me data. You know, it's, it's, so it's sort of evolved from that. And I think, I think I've been very fortunate to kind of be in this position where I, you know, I think there are other people who do really great work just covering, you know, just thinking about this space in this industry. But frankly, uh, I, I think I've accepted that I'm okay not making as much money because uh, people aren't going to want to work with all oh, the notorious. Uh, but, you know, I, I, that doesn't bother me. I'd rather like have frank, open conversation about real topics. And again, like I'm happy to be wrong, right? I'm just not going to tell people maybe what they want to hear. You know, I'd rather tell them what I think, what I perceive to be true. And I think in the long run, I think that's more valuable. Well, and I think that's really important and refreshing because in our industry, in our sphere, what, I mean, we're surrounded by uh, statistics and everything else that support our position. Correct. Or where we are currently. Correct. And we are resistant to looking at it from another angle. Right. Um, And so it's, uh, for, for anybody that's listening right now that isn't familiar with Rob's work, it, it's important to check it out, you know, look at another, it, yeah. another angle. Yeah. And so again, I, I think I used to get into a lot of like, you know, comment wars and stuff. And I, I really appreciated those. Like some of my best friends in the industry and I just argue all the time. Right. right. You know, and I'm like, that, I think that's good because argument is how we learn. Like I've, I've changed my mind, I think, because of, oh yeah, okay. You know what? I see it that way. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, some people disagree with that. <laughs> well, and I think that's the big thing is yeah. you're seen as such a controversial figure to a certain Correct. extent. You right. are seen as a disruptor. Yeah. And, but that's, well, and, and people either love you or they hate you, though Correct. it seems like there's a lot more people that want to hate you. Correct. But it's because they're of a traditional mindset and they would prefer to just stick their head in the sand and believe that things are always going to be the way things have always been. Yeah. And we have to be evolving. We have to be changing and we have to be open to ideas. Yeah. And you're one of those people that engages conversation. Yeah. You, you know, uh, we, we laughed whenever you came on and in the background, everybody can't see this obviously because it's a podcast, but you have a sign behind yourself that says, save time, see it my way, yeah. which is how <laughs> some people perceive you to believe. Yeah. And yet that's not actually when someone gets to know you, yeah. you actually encourage that and you love going back at that. You yeah. feed off of the back and forth, not necessarily yeah. being right, but it's yeah. that generating of the conversation and the opening of minds through the conversation is what I yeah. see come from you. Yeah, and I think the only way to do that is to actually hold real positions, right? In other words, look, I, I went to law school. I could argue whatever position you want. You know, it's just for you know, kind of these types of conversations, or if I'm presenting or whatever, I, I just feel like let's let's put some real things out there. These are my real positions. It's not that I don't believe these things. It is, but my mind's subject to change. Like I'd say, look, uh, I try to live kind of in the reality-based community. So if you show me new facts, new evidence, I, I'm more than happy to change my mind. Um, but yeah, it is, it is one of the perennial issues I think we have kind of as industry. And I, I thought I've spent a lot of years thinking about this, Bobby. And I think mm-hmm. it's because everybody in real estate is a marketer, yeah. right? And they're very, very good at marketing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and marketing is not necessarily about telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth, right? There's a lot of spin involved with that. There's a lot of, you know, appearance and narrative. And unfortunately, I think it sometimes gets in the way of, of proper strategy, mm-hmm. if you will. And my, I'm a strategy consultant, right? So my job to me is not like, if you want, if you want marketing help, like, I think there are much better people than me, right? Uh, but if you want like actual, like you want to build strategy because you're confronting a real business problem, whatever that be, 
your brokerage and your profitability sucks, or you're a team and you're trying to figure out how to grow beyond whatever your bounds are. You're a tech company, you're terrified about some big guy crushing your product. I'm like, okay, well then we can't afford narratives. You know what I mean? In those situations, we actually need to have some idea of what the reality is, what's really happening. And I think that makes a lot of people really uncomfortable and I get it. Like some of my favorite things is like, I, I've heard this, that uh, somehow I hate associations and realtors. Yes, and I'm that's, like, a, that's a strongly held belief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm like, you yes. know, what's, what's weird about it is that I'm, I'm, I think I'm one of the biggest proponents of the realtor movement, but you know, it's like, are we just gonna ignore what's actually happening on the ground, right? right? I mean, just cause you ignore it doesn't mean it goes away, right? So it's things like that. And I'm like, look, I'm happy to engage with whoever, I'm happy to debate, I'm happy to argue, I'm happy to learn from them and maybe get them to learn from me or at least see things from different perspectives, you know? But it's not necessarily comfortable for most people. And I get that. So I do presentations and I always say like, I wanna make half the room like think and laugh and the other half horrified, right? So, you know, that's- You uh, do a good job of that. (laughs) And and I think the other thing that, that got lost there is you talked about you're really good at helping people craft strategies. Yep. But- it's not just the crafting of the strategy, it's also the implementation. Because yeah. we can have all the strategies in the world, but you also work really well to say, this is how we're gonna implement it versus right. just sitting on a piece of paper. That's right. But you know, at the same time, like I said, I think there are others who are like really, really great at implementation. I'm happy to, you know, I've done that. You know, I've worked yeah. with clients, so okay, you need to call this person for building your website. Like, I'm not gonna do that for oh, you. God, no. You need to call this company for PR. Like. I. That's not, that's not necessarily what I do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's strategy is one thing. Implementation is a whole other thing. Communication is a whole other thing. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, I've been fortunate. So I'm still having fun and I'll keep doing this as long as I'm having fun and feel like I'm making some kind of a difference. Well, along the line of things that we need to strategize on. Yes. Um, I've, I've got a couple of things I'm going to uh, cite real quick from right. the... Realtor Confidence Index report, and you're going to get an idea of where we want to take this real quick. Sure. (laughs) So uh, sales for non-primary residential use um, Mm. in 2021, uh, so so far, we're at 14% uh, versus 9% in 2020. Mm -hmm. Cash sales. So you're talking about investor or second homes? Okay. Investors or second home. Yep. Okay. Cash sales as a percentage up to uh, 23% versus 16% in 2020. Um, and first time home buyers as a percentage of sales is up to, uh, was down to 31% versus 35% in 2020. Mm-hmm. So um, we're looking at a uh, lack of affordable housing, of course, but then yep. also we're talking about hedge funds coming in and buying up properties. Yep. And lack of conversations surrounding that. Um, and, uh, we know you've got thoughts on that. Yep. World are we going to do Rob? That's a really great question. What are, what, when you say we, who is this? We, <laughs> you know, like, who is this? We came wasabi. Um, you no, personally, here's the thing. Rob, what are you doing? No, just yeah, you, I know. Right. You specifically, me specifically, uh, I am buying Bitcoin and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so look, I, I'm trying to figure out how to contextualize this. Um, so I've written a couple of posts about this, right? And I, it was a few months ago, I remember saying, you know, I think I have an understanding why the hedge funds are going into this. And housing affordability is really bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I would argue it's probably all time bad. And I don't see that changing, which is a little different than a lot of folks who probably know better than I do. You know, there are economists out there saying, look, housing prices are plateaued. You know, we're going to see the, and there's some YouTubers out there, housing markets are gonna collapse. I'm like, okay, maybe. Um, so the reason why, when I wrote that, I thought, I think for me, fundamentally, it's about money, right? And again, I'm going to warn y'all, like, I'm not an economist, right? I know I look like one, look but like I'm Lawrence. not an economist. I look like Lawrence, but I'm not. Uh, so let's put that in context, right? But fact of the matter is, I think the latest figure I saw was since the start of the pandemic, we have printed 25% of all U.S. dollars in existence, were created since the start of 2020, right? Uh, we're about to print another couple trillion, I think. You know, uh, so we're just massively increasing the money supply. Uh, and I'm saying, okay, like 
fundamentally, like that's going to have an impact, right? Because we might have created 25% more dollars, but we didn't create 25% more chickens. We didn't create 25% more wood, you know? So inflation is, I think, you know, something that's on a lot of people's minds. Now, these hedge fund managers, I know a bunch of them, you know, so like some of my practice involves talking to Wall Street guys about what's happening in the industry. And these are some of the smartest investors on the planet. Do you know what I mean? I mean, they make millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars managing billions of dollars of other people's money and trying to get them returns. And they're looking at this going, I can't have cash, right? Because if I'm holding cash, the top line inflation number is like 5% now. There are a lot of folks who think that's bullshit because CPI is not to be trusted and the real number is closer to 15%. Mm-hmm. So if you have to make 15% a year, <laughs> like cash is not doing that. Interest rates are nowhere near there. So they're saying we're losing 15% a year on cash. We have to park this somewhere. We can't put it into bonds right? because rates are so low. We're not getting the yields. Where are we going to put this? And I think a lot of them said, okay, houses, real estate, because they're not making more of those, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at least not making more of land and it's hella hard to make more of structures. So let's do that because it turns out housing is one of those things. It's, it's not an iPhone, right? It's not a Tesla. It's not a, you know, Facebook app. It's something you actually have to have. Right. <laughs> like you it's can a live basic human need. Yeah. You can live your whole life without designer clothes. You can live your whole life without Spotify and Netflix, mm-hmm. you know, TVs, iPads, even though my teenage boys probably would disagree with that, but it's true. You can, in fact, live without an iPad. You actually can't live without housing, right? at least not for long. So you have to live somewhere. And I think a lot of folks are like, okay, well, then this is where we're going to park our money. So I haven't seen, like, one of the things I've talked about a little bit is the data is a little hard to come by, you know, because we don't really identify, like, you know, who is the buyer, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times these uh, hedge funds are buying through LLCs and you know, and tracing the beneficial owners, it's very, very difficult. But data is a little hard to come by. But John Burns, I think, uh, consulting has done some really good work in this area. And they're like, it might be up to 25% of all purchases are done by institutional uh, money. Um, And then the the other part of this for me is, that's if we're looking at these multi-billion dollar hedge funds, right? But they're only a very small piece of the puzzle. The other piece are, are smaller funds, right? Or just wealthy individuals like family funds, you know, like if you have $10 million in, you know, family, like you're a successful entrepreneur, you've got $10 million, like you're not a billion dollar hedge fund. You right. still have $10 million though. And if you're not holding it in cash, you're not holding it in bonds, where are you putting it, right? You can only put so much in the stock market. You want to diversify all that. So I think, I think we're starting to see a lot of that, right? Um, what does that mean? It means actual like first-time home buyers, working families, millennials, they're absolutely screwed. <laughs> and which then brings me to the other point. I think you guys have heard me talk about this. I think, Bobby, you're one of the people I like personally like called this out to. And I remember saying it was probably two, three years ago now um, when I started studying millennials and what's happening with them. And I thought we have, as an industry, we have a total misperception of what's happening with millennials and now with Gen Z. You know, the picture we have is these are like super educated, you know, dot com millionaires or they're crypto billionaires or whatever. And, you know, they're just buying million dollar houses for cat. Like, actually, that's a very, very small percentage. Mm-hmm. If you look at the real stats. Mil- <laughs> right. And, and I think you guys probably see this more uh, simply because you're not in New York, San Francisco, you know, Austin, I'm, even though Kansas City started to become like one of the hottest markets. Um most millennials aren't doing that, right? And they're absolutely screwed. And they've now had to live through two economic crises. Um, and I remember saying like, YPN, if you guys aren't focusing on this, what are you focusing on? Like, why do you exist if you're not going to talk about housing affordability and the American dream for the next generation, right? Um, and it's a really difficult topic and I get it. And you know, that's kind of where we're at. So I'm not particularly surprised by some of the numbers. I'm actually surprised that 31% is still like first time home buyers are still that high. Right. You know, I'm actually surprised by that, but that's cool. I mean, it says people are resilient and they're, they're making it work. Um, but I don't see that changing anytime soon. Right. That's the other part of this. Like this is where I differ and I could very well be wrong, but if, if we're, if we're really creating that much more money, 
I don't think home prices are going up. I don't think that's what's happening. I think fundamentally dollars getting devalued, which is a very different thing. And if we think of it that way, home prices year to date are up what around 14, 15% year over year, Mm -hmm. which happens to be exactly that number Mm -hmm. that all the hedge fund guys are like, look, the real inflation is 15%, right? Is that going to stop this year? Like, do we think that in 2022, home prices are not going to be up 15% over this year? What about 2023? And so to me, it's, it's sort of that simple. Um, And we'll see what happens. And, you know, there's whole other macroeconomic stuff that you probably should have the Lawrence you and on to talk about besides me. (laughs) One of the concerns that I have about all of this is, you know, is somebody going to get their hands on it and try to do something um, in a regulatory way? Are they going to try to to regulate these hedge funds coming in and and buying up property? And if they do that, you know, uh, what does that do to our, uh, to like the smaller investors that you talked about who are many of whom are our realtor members? Uh, I don't think it's going to be just against big hedge funds. I, I think those are the easy targets, but uh, who was it? I, I think it was Lee, uh, Lee Brown, right? You guys know Lee. Uh-huh. She re- made a fantastic video talking about how most landlords, most real estate investors are mom and pop. You know, they're individuals, they're right. accidental landlords, they're you know, just hardworking people, you know, just trying to provide housing for their neighbors. It was a phenomenal video. Um, and she's right. Having said that, I don't think that matters that much. If I'm 29 with 100,000 in college student loans and my, my salary is not going up at all. In fact, I can't get a full-time job. I'm working two part-time jobs in a gig, right? And I feel like I can't ever buy a house and yet, and here's this uh, wealthy family buying two apartments to use as rentals. Like, why do I have any sympathy for them? Like, like you know, it's like, oh, well, they're, they're not Wall Street hedge funds. That's true, but you still have more money than me. Why do you deserve three houses when I, don't, I can't get one? I actually think the regulation, the legal, political legal environment is decidedly turning against just wealthy people, I guess is the way to put it. And I think a lot of it's tied to housing, right? Because again, it's a fundamental good, right? It's, 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 it's almost like food, you know? Imagine like you can't have one meal a day, but here's people having three meals a day. You're not going to care that much that they're having three, you know, moderate meals versus three luxury meals of French laundry, right? You're just right. going to care that they have three and I, I have one. It's, right. it's things like that. And I think, I think we're entering a really dangerous period from a reg- legislative regulatory environment. And uh, I don't know exactly what realtors can do about that. Right? I don't. I wish I did. I wish I had some real clear, like, hey, do these five things. Yeah. Um, but to me, this is part of where kind of what I mentioned before, Bobby, about, you know, I don't think we can rely on like boomers to try and, and talk to sort of the millennial and Gen Z consumer and voters about what's happening in their lives. You know, uh, I don't know if you guys know... Um, uh, Nicole uh, down in, in Houston, right? I, I recorded a video with her a couple of years back talking about millennials, right? About the problem of this. And she was pointing out like a lot of the boomers were saying, oh, stop eating avocado toast, right? <laughs> like save up and be responsible. I bought a home when I was 22, why can't you kind of stuff? And she had to point out like healthcare costs are up 400%, transportation costs are up, you know, all these things. Like it's, we're not even living in the same world. So I think if we're going to get a solution out of the legislative, regulatory, political issue, it has to come from young people. Um, and certainly, you know, that, that's a major, another major challenge in the industry, right? You know, uh, are young people taken seriously? Is there much attention paid to that? But it, of course, it even gets complicated beyond that, right? right? Because fundamentally, so here's the fundamental question I think realtors need to ask themselves, right? Are you for homeowners or are you for the public, mm-hmm. right? So-called future homeowners, right? Because right. there are times when you look at sort of realtor politics or realtor language, realtor policies. If I'm a 28-year-old renter, right? I don't know that y'all do anything for me, right? right? But you do a lot of stuff to maintain home prices at a high level. Right. right? And those two don't go together, right? Mm-hmm. So this is one of those fundamental like challenges and struggles, I think, within the realtor community like we need to have. Right. And I don't know that there's a right answer, right? 
I'm not saying like, oh, we should do this or impose socialism. No, no, no. I'm just pointing out this is the issue, right? How do we make things great for both owners and future owners or renters or never, you know, like how do we do that? Is this, is this something we ought to do? Or do we just frankly say, you know what? We're realtors. Only thing we care about are homeowners. If you don't own a home, then we don't care about you. Like then we should just know that, right? right. And not pretend otherwise. But you now, have to care about concept- the people that live there. So, I mean, it's- uh, Yeah, it's- uh, it's, it's, you know? it, To me, it's a bigger thing. Like it, it's, we see it show up in real estate, but I feel like societally- Of course. We are so disconnected from everybody yeah. else. And I can find five different groups that I'm at odds with that why, why are we where we are? And it just, yeah. it's so frustrating to just feel the anger about yeah. everything right now. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, is like, you know, social media doesn't help. Uh, you know, our politics doesn't help. Our, our screw- Like we have a lot of problems. Only I'm pointing out is that a lot of the economic issues, in my perspective, come from housing yeah. because housing is so fundamental. Right. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I kind of have always loved and always supported the realtor movement because, you know, under all is the land. Like, it's true, man. Like, yeah. you know, civic society almost depends upon land and its uses and housing and where people work, where people live. I mean, it's so important. So it's going to impact a lot of these things. So I, I, I know it's a real long way of putting this, Alex. It's the short answer to your question is yes, there's re- leg- legislation coming our way. Yes, there's regulation coming our way. But I don't think it's going to be limited to let's just go after the Wall Street hedge funds. Right. I just don't. I mean, I, I think if, if, yeah, because I think if well, someone, yeah, right. Because here's how I look at it how would that happen, right? How would going after Wall Street happen? It would happen because some congressman, some senator somewhere gets up, pounds the podium, yeah. and says, you know, we need to do something about these greedy pigs, you know, coming. Okay, and you know that congressman's constituent, like, yeah, you're right, and we ought to do something about this. All right, well, then we go right into that's cool, but those guys only own like half a percent of rental units, right? Most rental units are owned by individuals and families, and then it becomes just like, well, why should they get to own three houses when I can't? Do we just need to put, start putting 50% taxes on all rental property? Do we need to start, you know, I mean, I, I think that's the regulation legislature we're going to see coming out of this. And uh, I don't think anyone's ready for it. Well, of course, taxing that though, isn't really going to do anything. It's not like all of a sudden they're going to start liquidating those houses to try to get out from under it and then pay capital gains tax. I mean, that's, that's the thing is that you've got a large group of these people who sure. probably would be willing, maybe not a large group. There is a group of these uh, people that own rental property mm-hmm. that might be willing to liquidate those investments that they didn't have to pay capital gains tax. Sure. And here we are, you know, fighting a battle to try to make sure that we're not making it more difficult for people to avoid paying capital gains tax through 1031 exchanges. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, it's, we're screwed on both sides. Yeah. And, and the only thing I'll point out about that, Alex, is, you know, as some, as some of y'all know, I, I, I tend to lean heavily libertarian anarchist. So, (laughs) so my take on and again like i have friends who are in politics you know and i I, they're all really lovely great people and all but i just tend to think one of the issues is we think that politics and politicians want to solve problems i don't know that that's true i think politics and politicians want to get reelected, hold on to power and the two are not the same thing like sometimes you solve problems in order to do that sometimes you just kind of pass a law that says, you know, whatever, we're, we're screwing it. We're, we're taking it to the rich guy. And yeah, if right. that's what's going to get you elected, then that's what's going to get you elected. So I think that's, those are some of the real challenges. I agree with you. Depressing as hell, right? I'm feeling up mind now, and we have to be realistic about what's happening. So what else? What else should we be talking about? What else have we not asked you about? What, what else is around the corner? I, the biggest thing I think is the fact that the federal government is coming after NAR yep. in, a, in a pretty significant way. Uh, I've written a couple of things on, on my VIP side about that, but I think we've all been talking about it. I'm sure you guys have been talking about it. Um, you know, if you are a, if you're in leadership position, you're not talking about the fact that all likelihood commissions are lot, not long for this world, right? Um, in all likelihood, the linkage of realtor status in the MLS is not long for this world. Uh, in all likelihood, 
a lot of the stuff you know that we just take for granted in the industry are not long for this world right now the only good thing about it is government moves slowly so we probably have a two to three year you know window between now and then for something to happen but something's gonna happen right mm-hmm. um i think that's probably something we're not talking about um and there are so many things we're not talking about because it's very uncomfortable but i would say that's probably the biggest one right now um so going back to all those people that like to just stick their head in the sand and pretend things have always will always stay the way they've yeah. always been right they're in for an extremely rude awakening that there right. is significant changes just around the bend and that we have no control over they no, will just have to happen right here's what i'll say about that bobby i mean i i used to really think the same way you know earlier in my career what i'll the way I feel about it now um, is it's not for the average rank and file user. It's not for the agent on the street to have to do those things, right? They should actually kind of have their heads in the sand. They should just be focused on servicing their clients and, you know, helping people buy and sell homes, you know? I think though, if you're in a leadership position, it's a little different. If you are in a leadership position, if you are on the board of an association, if you're on the MLS board, if you are in management at a brokerage, if you're, you know, if you're in leadership position, then yeah, you really can't stick your head in the sand because you've got a whole bunch of people relying on you to not stick your head in the sand and to, to look up and sort of identify these things so that they can just really focus on serving their clients as best they can. You know, that's almost how I think about it. So yeah. I, I completely agree, obviously, you know, but I would limit that, that criticism to, you know, sort of leadership, right? Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm on Facebook, I'm, you know, and I see agents making comments. So look, it's not your job. Like, I, I get it. Your job is to help buyers and sellers achieve their dream. You know, right. you go do that. My opinion changes if you are in a leadership position in some yeah. organization in real estate. Then I feel like, okay, then you can't stick your head in the sand, yeah. right? Then you actually have to entertain the possibility some some of these things are going to happen. You know, and you make a good point because I think I've just been up there so long and been surrounded yeah. by leaders so long that I can't take myself back to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. even thinking of my mom. My mom was a top producer, but she was never involved in leadership positions. Right. And so she was that typical realtor. You go sell real estate. When That's something right. changes, we'll tell you about it, but That's it's right. to everybody else to make it happen. That's right. That's exactly Valid. how I feel about it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking oh. time to be with us today. You're so welcome. Well, um, so not everybody, so not everybody's involved in this. It's just a few of our leadership, but you are coming to, to Missouri here very soon. No, you're zooming into Missouri, aren't you? You're not actually showing up. No, right? I don't yeah. know. Like I, we're still talking. Like, okay. I think if I'm going to do it, I'd love to, you know, come see everybody in person. You the know? lake is so lovely. So hopefully <laughs> we'll get to see you in person and do all that kind of lovely stuff. Okay. That'll be fun. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for your time, right. Rob. Thanks Thank guys. You, Rob. Right. Bye. Bye now. Bye.